glad to see everybody's faces out there this morning, and thank you for joining us uh, um, out there in uh, the internet world. Um, just thankful for this morning, guys, uh, for, for Christmas. Uh, we continue our celebration of Christmas this morning, so um, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for coming, Lord. Um, God, we just remember that this week, this day, and we celebrate, Lord. Um, Lord, no other God, no other uh, religion um, can claim that, Lord. You came, you lived with us, Lord, we're so thankful for it. You got to know um, what we go through, Lord. And um, you came and, and died, Lord, and you ultimately, there's more to the story, Lord. You rose again, and um, Father, we just uh, praise you this morning for that reality. God, we hope during this season uh, we continue to remember you uh, with all the distractions around us, Lord. Let our focus be you now and throughout the year, God. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.
Christmas. Let's try that again. Merry Christmas. You know, most of us celebrate Christmas by giving gifts and receiving gifts. Take a minute with me to remember what were some of the gifts when you were growing up that you remember the most, that made the most impression on you. For me, I was really into space when I was growing up, really anything in the sky. And I remember my parents giving me a, a Lego set for a space shuttle. I also think my Aunt Marilyn Keener gave me a, a space shuttle model with, with the rockets. really made an impression on me. Um, th- these, we all have our favorite gifts, and probably some that you really didn't like, like the sweaters and scarves that, you know, really practical, but as a kid are not very exciting. My topic today is on the word uh, treasure. And the point of remembering our previous Christmas gifts is that we all have things that we treasure, that we remember. The word treasure is actually not used very much today when we're talking about Christmas gifts. But more often, things like pirate treasure or vast sums of money or something rare that's hidden, it implies something of extraordinary value. There are modern-day examples of treasure hunters who spend years and millions of dollars searching for lost treasure. One of the greatest treasure finds of the last hundred years was the discovery of the tomb of the Egyptian pharaoh Tutankhamun, which is usually referred to as King Tut. The British archaeologist Howard Carter started searching and researching the paintings of the tombs of pharaohs in the late 1800s. And by 1907, he was commissioned by the wealthy Lord Carnarvon of England to search for ancient Egyptian artifacts. But 15 years later, in 1922, Lord Carnarvon was ready to give up. They hadn't found anything particularly special. But Carter pushed him to let him continue for one more year, just one more year, to try to find something. In this last year, Carter found what was one of the greatest finds of the century. Not just the mummy of King Tut, but, and he was in multiple layers of ornately designed coffins that were covered in pure gold. But there are many other artifacts, also made out of gold. Today, the estimated replacement value is $750 million. In another true story of found treasure, the scuba diver and treasure hunter, Mel Fisher, after decades of searching for the treasure of a sunken fleet of Spanish ships that had sunken in a hurricane in 1622, finally found the treasure just off the Florida Keys which is estimated to be worth between 200 and 400 million dollars. What is it about treasure that draws us in? In addition to these stories, there are many fictional tales that have been told about a protagonist who will risk life and limb to discover legendary treasure. Why do we love treasure stories so much? The truth is, we're all treasure seekers. Most of us won't really recognize it or admit it, but we're all seeking things of worth that promise us happiness and peace. For Jesus, the concept of treasure and wealth was very important, and it comes up many times in the Gospels. Today, the passage I want to focus on is probably the best known of Jesus talking about treasure. If you have your Bibles, um, I know many of you may have it on your phone, but uh, if you could turn with me to 
Matthew 6. This passage in Matthew 6 is right in the middle of probably Jesus' most famous sermon or collection of teachings, the Sermon on the Mount, which spans from Matthew 6, or sorry, Matthew 5 through chapter 7. So I'll be reading from chapter 6, verse 19 to 24. Please follow along with me. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This passage is full of contrasts. First, between verses 19 and 20, we have the contrast of laying up treasures on earth and laying up treasures in heaven. Verse 22 and 23 portray a healthy eye and a bad eye, which produce in the whole body light or darkness. And finally, verse 24 contrasts serving God with serving money. At first glance, those middle couple verses, verse 22 and 23, which talk about the eye giving light to the body, seem a little confusing or out of place. But I think they fit perfectly well in the context of the passage, and I'll explain my understanding of what they mean. Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that a man who looks at a woman lustfully has already slept with her in his heart. In the same way, I think the analogy here in verse 22 and 23 is that the direction of our eyes is indicative of what is already in our hearts. If we let our eyes see good things, meaning they are healthy, our whole body would be full of light and goodness. But if our eyes go to worthless things, it affects our whole life. It was David's prayer in Psalm 119, keep my eyes from worthless things. Or we can flip this around. What we treasure in our hearts will, in a sense, steer our eyes toward good things or to bad things. So what do we make of this phrase, laying up treasure on earth, in verse 19? In one sense, it might seem obvious, right? Laying up treasure on earth should mean things like saving for retirement, amassing a large bank account, buying an expensive house. The real meaning, though, is much broader than this. Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus explains how the purpose of the law is not something external, what we do or don't do, but what's in our hearts. Man looks at outer appearances, but God looks at the heart. This means you could, this means you could in theory, be poor in the world's eyes, but your heart could still be in the wrong place. Someone in this place could struggle with jealousy. The reverse can be true. Even though we often sometimes look down on those who are very rich, those with financial wealth can use their wealth to glorify God. In 1 Timothy 6, 
Paul calls on the wealthy to not be haughty, nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Nothing in here says wealth is wrong, but that there are actions that the wealthy can do to show that it is God and not their wealth that rules their hearts. Having said this, there is a lot in the New Testament that seems to warn of the dangers of wealth. James, who is probably the very brother of Jesus, says it quite strongly in the beginning of the fifth chapter of his letter. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Man, he does not pull any punches, does he? How can we reconcile this with Paul's passage we just read? Is wealth wrong or not? I think the key is in the word treasure. James says, you have laid up treasure in the last days. By the way, I take last days to mean the time from when Jesus returned to heaven until when he returns again. So that would refer to not only James's original readers, but us today as well. When, what James says is that we've laid up treasure. I don't think he's simply meaning physical money and possessions by themselves, but rather storing up these possessions when our hearts are placing trust in them. I think in the Bible the word Treasure doesn't just mean physical possessions, but it means those possessions that become the focus of our hearts. If our minds are more focused on our money than the growth of the kingdom of God, we are guilty of what James is saying. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. It also reminds me of the story of the rich young ruler, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with. Please keep your finger in Matthew 6, because I'll come back to that. But if you could turn to Luke 18, um, we'll we'll look at a passage here. Here is a man who probably seemed like he had it all, right? The heading usually calls him the rich young ruler. And these three words say it all. Think about it. One, he was rich, had lots of money. Two, he was young. Throughout history, people have been looking for ways to look and feel younger. And finally, three, he was a ruler. He had power and prestige. But here he comes to Jesus to seek what he was lacking. If you're at Luke 18, look with me starting in verse 18. He comes to Jesus and asks him what he must do to inherit eternal life. Jesus asks him if he's kept the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. All these external laws this man has kept since he was a child. Then Jesus asks him to sell all his possessions and give to the poor. And then he would have treasures in heaven. The young man sadly walks away because he could not do this. This passage makes a lot of us uncomfortable. Is Jesus asking all believers to follow this command? But here Jesus is going even deeper than outward action. 
but rather goes straight to the heart. Notice that in asking if he's followed all these commands, Jesus does not ask him if he's kept the greatest commandment. Can anyone tell me what is the greatest commandment? You shall, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Yes, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. I think Jesus actually does ask him this question, but in a very different way. This man, as a Jew, would have been intimately familiar with this greatest commandment. Practicing Jews were supposed to recite this, the first paragraph of the Shema, every night before bed, which starts, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This man would have known this intimately. But Jesus cuts right to the heart to see if this law is true in his deepest heart of hearts. Does he love God this way with, all, with everything that he has and, and is? If so, then of course. This would be no problem. Selling all his possessions and giving to the poor. If any of us would say that God is first in our life and he would ask us to do that, if he truly is first, that would not be a problem. It would be proof that he loves God with all that he is and all that he has. But alas, it revealed that this man, who seemed to have it all, and even seemed to be righteous on the outside, did not have treasure in heaven. The one requirement he needed for eternal life, treasure in heaven, was lacking. Perhaps our treasure isn't money, but rather reputation. If you go back to Matthew 6 and look at the first part of the chapter, Jesus has a series of teachings emphasizing that our righteous acts should be done in secret. He condemns those who do them for show. Take also the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector praying. The Pharisee only cared about that he was recognized for his external righteous deeds. But it was the tax collector who was justified because his heart was in the right place, even if his outer life was seen as unrighteous. This teaching shouldn't come as a guilt trip or to give you the impression that wealth and money and possessions are inherently evil or to be avoided. Really, almost anything that we have is actually good in itself. But if we treasure these things over God himself, we really are missing out on true life. No earthly treasure can even remotely hold a candle to the indescribable glory of God. Paul says this eloquently in, in Philippians 3. He said, or he had everything that a good Jew would want. He appeared to follow everything in the law, but in the end, it was so overshadowed by the immense glory of knowing Christ that he said, I consider it all loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. He even called the, his qualifications rubbish, could also be translated dung, so worthless. So often we seek after worthly recognition and think it will give us happiness, that we miss out on the most glorious of treasures, knowing God himself. In the last two chapters of the Bible, John describes a vision of what heaven will be like. And we have all these glorious images, a beautiful tree bearing 12 different kinds of fruit for the healing of the nations, streets of gold, 
countless precious gems. Each gate of the city is even made out of a single pearl, if you can imagine that. In other places, we hear of mansions that Jesus is preparing for us. Animals that are now dangerous will pose no threat. The lion laying down with the lamb. Yet in heaven, what is going to far outshine any of these otherwise glorious things is God himself. Maybe heaven sounds beautiful and interesting, but we get boring after some time, let alone eternity. But God is so infinitely deep, so infinitely glorious, so infinitely beautiful, there is no way in all eternity we could ever even get close to exhausting our pleasure in seeing him and being in his presence. I like how David says it in Psalm 16. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Brothers and sisters, this is the prosperity gospel. Not that God wants to give us more money or better houses or better cars. Those things are fine, but what does he really want to give us? Himself. That's what Christmas is all about. He gave us himself. And when David says, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore, is he talking about earthly wealth? I don't think so. The analogy that came to my head is, would almost be like saying the pleasures in God's right hand are just a big lump of coal. Not like the lump of coal that we joke about putting in other people's stockings. But think about it. Coal is useful. We don't just throw it away. We can use it to heat or think other things. But it's hardly something we treasure. No, being in God's presence for eternity is the treasure that will never diminish. We can spend eternity exploring the extent of this treasure and never reach the end. This is a wonderful thing to look forward to, but how does this affect our lives today? Though living in a fallen world prevents us from uh, seeing the full glory of God, treasuring him above all else, even now, is something that can give us focus and peace in our lives. I think the root of sin is simply this, not treasuring God above all else. John Piper says, No one sins out of duty. We do it because we think it will give us happiness. On the flip side, many of us follow Jesus because we think it's our duty, not because we really want to. But how much more satisfying is following Jesus when we truly believe it will lead to the greatest satisfaction in our lives? We shouldn't follow Jesus out of duty, but out of delight. As we look back on this past year, however, we don't see a lot of delight. 2020 has been unforgettable for all the wrong reasons. It's been a year where I'm sure every single person here has had many change plans, employment uncertainty, loneliness, and many other stressors, even if you've never contracted COVID-19. How do we savor and enjoy God through these difficult times? We know nothing in this physical world is permanent, and this year has reminded us of this over and over again. There has only been one constant throughout this year. God is good. God is the only thing we can fully rely on when everything else in our lives is pulled out from under us. He is not only with us in every good and bad time in our lives, 
He will also be with us for all eternity in heaven, when we will see him face to face and he will wipe every tear from our eyes. I'd encourage you in these last few days of 2020, look back on the year. And if you need to, have a good cry. I don't want to assume it's been a bad year for all of us, but, well, and I'm hopeful that we all see the ways that God has worked. But really give yourself a chance to grieve the things that have been lost this year. See a counselor if you need to. Even listen to some sad music or watch a sad movie, if that helps. If you're like me, expressing your emotions, even to yourself, won't happen naturally unless it's drawn out. But it can be so healing just to cry sometimes. Don't stop there, though. Recognize you are a child of God, and as a loving Father, He is there to embrace you and remind you of the promise that He will never leave you or forsake you. He will use every difficult experience of the year to drive you to Himself. Sometimes I think He uses these experiences to shake us out of our complacency and our love for earthly things to make us turn to the only true treasure that makes every other treasure pale in comparison. We're far too easily pleased sometimes. It's often a blessing in disguise when we have our earthly treasures stripped away so we can seek our fulfillment in the only treasure that will truly fulfill us. I'd like to close uh, with one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. If you could turn with me to Romans 8, uh, it's, a, it's a longer passage, but we won't read the whole chapter, but part of it. In this passage, notice how it, it doesn't ignore the difficulties of life, but also shows us how glorious God is. Let's start at verse 16. The Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God. Did you get that? We are heirs of the family fortune. And what is this fortune? God himself. We are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be set free from the bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. I'm going to skip to verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things, yes, all things, work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. 
What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised. He was at the right hand of God. That's the treasure at God's right hand. Christ himself. I lost my place. Okay. Uh, Who is raised at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things. Did you catch that? Not despite these things, not in the absence of all these things, but in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, the treasure we seek, the treasure we must seek, is unseen, but it is right in front of us. We don't have to wait until heaven to enjoy this pleasure. It's available to all who believe. If you have not yet tasted the joy of knowing Jesus, please talk with anyone here who you know to treasure God already in their hearts. It will change your life. If you are a believer, but find yourself being distracted by the treasures of life, I encourage you to take at least a half hour this afternoon, maybe more if you can, and meditate on this passage, Romans 8. Ask God to help you reorient your life to treasure him more. Many of us make New Year's resolutions in a few days, or we'll make New Year's resolutions. Make this one of them. Uh, I'd invite the worship team to come up as I close. You know, we're told that Christmas is supposed to be about joy, but the source of this joy can't be anything physical. Even two days later, perhaps the initial joy of receiving Christmas gifts is already beginning to wear off. Even family can't be relied on to give us this joy always. Perhaps this year your family Christmas plans have been canceled because of the pandemic. Maybe you have broken or strained relationships in your family that just bring pain this season as so much around you is portraying ideal family relationships. But let us make our source of true joy the greatest gift of God, Jesus himself. Not just because he died for our sins to restore our relationship with God, but also because he truly is the most glorious, most beautiful, most satisfying thing that has ever existed. And he is ours for all eternity.
First, I want to say greetings and thank you, Jonathan, for a terrific message this morning. Really appreciate that and appreciate the way, again, you've shared with us this, this winter, I mean, sorry, this year, um, and in your messages. Um, it's been a blessing to have you with us, all of your family. Also want to thank uh, you for leading in worship this morning, David and Ashley. Where did that song come from? I had a feeling, you know, I'm still listening to the last one you sang, Jesus, friend, Jesus, what was that one this summer you introduced? I'm still listening to that on my YouTube feed, and so what was the name of this one? Same, same, same people. Christ is mine forevermore. That was beautiful. Uh, had that same, had that same kind of spirit going through it that um, that first one did. So thank you, and you did a beautiful job, David and Ashley. Thanks for having us stand. This morning, we have the honor and privilege of celebrating, honoring Bethany Miller and her years as Minister of Children. Uh, Bethany, it's a delight to have you um, be honored for us to honor you today. And I'm just going to indicate for you in a mo for a few moments here what we're going to be doing. First of all, Jessica Lloyd has put together a video that you as parents and children, children participated in. We're thankful, uh, so thankful for Jessica's doing that. Following that, I'm going to, Heidi and I will come forward and invite Bethany and Scotty and your family to join us at the front. Um, Heidi and I will share some things with you and then ask you to share, Bethany, as you said, you have some things you'd like to share. And then Heidi will invite the ministry team members who are here to come to the front and Heidi will lead in prayer for, for you. Um, and then I think there's a closing song. Uh, do you have a closing song? Do the same glorious song you just did. That's wonderful. All right. I was hoping. Um, thank you. Uh, and that will wrap up the service. Um, so let's uh, go ahead, um, Dustin, with the video. Thank you. We love you. We love you. Thank you, Miss Stephanie. Thank Sorry. you. We love them. Thank you, Miss Stephanie. Thank you, me. Jesus, I love you. The sun candle shining in window pane gives a light for all to see. I shining flame. Thanks for being a light for Jesus. I love you. Say hi. Hi. Can Beckett? Can you say thank you? Yeah. And say 
say love you. Wow. Say bye bye. Bye. Thank you for being a good Sunday school teacher. I liked when we did the motions to the Bible verses. Thank you for being always helpful and kind. We love you. We love you. Thank you for teaching us God's word and all the fun things we did. Thank you for all your hard work you did in the children's ministries. And what I really enjoyed about when you were the children's ministries teacher, I really enjoyed all your Bible stories. Thank you. Um, Thanks for being awesome. We, we love, love you. you. Bethany was the first um, member of the ministry team following Heidi and I's appointment to that team. And so it's been a special delight to have you on the team from the very beginning, Bethany. Heidi and I have been leading in this congregation across a 20-year period. And one of the joys of this extended time of ministry has been watching children and youth in our congregation grow into the individuals God created them to be. You were a late teen, young adult, when we first began to minister um, in 2000. And what a blessing it has been to see you um, grow into whom God's calling you to be, Bethany, and created you to be a mom, a wife, a minister, a successful businesswoman, and, and many other things. So many gifts that God placed within you at birth that you have stewarded so well, Bethany. Um, and many of these gifts have you, you have used on behalf of the congregation and the ministry in this congregation. You could have used them elsewhere, or you could have not used them at all. Um, and you're really young yet, Bethany, and you have given so much, uh, you and Scotty and your family, to this congregation. And it's been an incredible blessing to us, and will continue to bear fruit for years to come um, in this congregation. Because that's what, what, that's what happens when we invest in the kingdom. It's exactly what you were preaching about uh, this morning, Jonathan, that when we invest in the kingdom, it bears fruit for eternity. And so what you've done, Bethany, in investing in the kingdom is going to keep bearing fruit beyond you. So you don't need to keep working at those things. They're going to keep working on God's behalf already because you've done that. Um, and, that's, and you get to go continue to do whatever God's calling you to do in all of the areas of your life. Um, Isaiah gets at this idea in chapter 55, and one of the passages that I have often read in terms of our children, um, and it goes like this, Isaiah 55, 10, as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. 
And so, Bethany, because you've been investing God's word in our children, it's going to keep bearing fruit. Um, and it will come back in their lives and in the lives of others with fruit. Um, and then Isaiah finishes that passage with this wonderful blessing that I just want to read over you as a prayer for you and your family, you and Scotty and your children. But for this season now, that as you go out from it, but also at the end of your life, as you go out, Bethany, that you would go out with joy and be led forth in peace, that the mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and that all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn brush will grow the pine tree, and instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. Thank you, Bethany, for your faithfulness to us and to the Lord above all. I didn't think I was going to share anything in a much. This morning I felt led to um, the story of David and Goliath. And, <clears throat> and I feel like the Lord was speaking to me personally about some things. But as I was um, praying for you, I um, felt like there were a few things I was to share from this passage. And some things that I was struck by... Um, in the beginning, probably we're all familiar with this story of David and Goliath. Um, but at the beginning, it talks about Goliath and how large he is and how much is the end of his spear weighs and, and all about how you know large and um, just how daunting this Goliath is. And then there's, there's David, who, um, who had these other experiences of God's faithfulness where he you know, came against the lion and the bear, and he talks about that um, um, with Saul, um, that he he wants to go out and go against this Goliath, and he, and he reflects back on previous times of God's faithfulness. Um, so I was struck by those two things, David, Goliath's largeness, and how that wasn't a hindrance to David, and David's reflection on God's faithfulness to him in the past, and that as he goes, as he was planning to go ahead um, and attack um, Goliath, that he also used he used um, he used his shepherd's pouch. Um, he used the things that God had already given him um, to uh, to come against Goliath. And the other piece was that he didn't, he didn't hold back. Everyone else was struck with fear, but David ran toward Goliath. And so I just want to encourage you, Bethany, that as you wrap up this part of your journey um, and begin whatever the Lord has for you next, that you reflect, that you remember all of those times of God's faithfulness to you in the past as you run ahead toward whatever it is that he has for you, knowing that that same God's going to be faithful to provide for you. I also just want to say that I had the privilege and the opportunity of um, supervising Bethany and walking with her over the last number of years. And they, to me, were just very rich and meaningful times, and I thank you for those. Um, this is from the ministry team. Um, Conrad had messaged me last night and asked me if I wanted to share something today, and I was like, not really. Um, I thought I said everything that I had to say in my letter. 
Um, and I didn't really think there was more to say. And then I texted him this morning. I was like, well, I feel like, um, and this isn't a bad thing. God gets what God wants. Um, and yeah. so anyway, I have something to share um, today. Um, thank you for my video and for the ones who are here. Thank you for um, your words. Um, so this morning, above my, we have this little like flip book above the, the in the bathroom. And it was um, for today. Um, this is what he shared, or what, what was on that um, um, devotional. Ties so much into what you talked about. Um, and that song was like, God was like ministering all to all my weak parts this morning. Um, so I really appreciate, Jonathan, what you shared and what you sang. So um, backpedal before I read that is, I feel like I've, I've had this um, struggle my whole life of like, I am here for the beginning. I'm going to get it good. I'm going to launch it. It's going to be great. And I'm going to have lots of energy and lots of power. And then the walking out of it is kind of like the struggle for me where I can't um, always um, finish as well as I wish I could finish. And they've always viewed that as a weakness. Um, whereas like people, I mean, Scotty's a steady plotter. I mean, he doesn't have like this like huge boost of energy at the beginning, but he can plod through just about anything and got prepared. But like, I don't have that. And so I've always viewed that as like a weakness of mine. And so this um, not finishing like I thought I would, or all these things are just, it's like some lies that I've been believing. Anyway, so this morning, um, I read this. So I'm preparing you for what is on the road ahead, just around the bend. Take, take the time to be still in my presence so that I can strengthen you. The busier you become, the more you need time apart with me. So many people think that time spent with me is a luxury that they cannot afford. As a result, they live and work in their own strength until that becomes depleted. I'm like the last two years. Then they either cry out to me or they, for help or they turn away in bitterness. How much better it is to walk close to me, depending on my strength and trusting me in every situation. If you live in this way, you will do less but accomplish far more. Your unhurried pace of living will stand out in this rush-crazed age. Some people, maybe even myself, may deem you lazy, but many more will be blessed by your peacefulness. Walk in the light with me, and you will reflect me to the watching world. So, like, um, there's no coincidence that that's what I read this morning, and I feel like I'm going to be doing a whole lot less. And even people will say, what are you going to do next? And at the beginning, I was like, I hope nothing. I, I really hope I don't do anything for a little while. And I still feel that way, and I think God's giving me the blessing to do that. And so... Um, yesterday I read um, this from a customer that we're really good at anticipating event, an event but not at sustaining it and so like Christmas we're really good at building up to what we have but then we forget Emmanuel God with us like for the other 364 days and so I think that's my New Year's resolution or whatever um, that I would understand and, and challenge you all to understand um, Emmanuel God with us. 
for the other 364 days. Because what I've been looking for was a break and a time. Now that I receive it, I hope we can do it well. I think that's I would like to um, invite the ministry team um, to come up, and we'll try to be socially distanced and um, and pray for Bethany. Um, I ended all that without saying that I have, it has been an absolute joy to serve. Um, it's been an absolute growth for me, but for all the people, all these little friends that I have now. And I am so thankful for you all um, to walk with you as parents, but also as children has been a deep, um, a deep um, gift to me. And I didn't want to um, end without saying that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do acknowledge that you are um, that you are an amazing, awesome, uh, mysterious God. You are the one who gifts us. You are the one who gives us our talents and our skills and our abilities. And we just thank you for that. We thank you for your... Um, for the way that you also, when you uh, call us into a position, you provide for us, Lord, the things that we need to accomplish that, to lead in that way. And I just pray for Bethany this morning, Lord, that, um, that all that she has experienced over the past uh, two years, Lord, of minister, as a minister of children, all of the really wonderful times, the creativity that you have blessed her with, the ability to organize, um, the challenges that she's experienced, Lord, that, that I know that you, don't, you do not waste one of those experiences. And so I just thank you for them. And I just pray, Lord, that as Bethany takes all of that um, and rests and waits before you, Lord, that you would through the power of your Holy Spirit, minister to her um, in ways, Lord, that only um, you can do for Bethany. I pray, Lord, that she would, during this period, feel rested and restored and renewed. Um, Lord, that she would, uh, as she seeks you, Lord, not be in a hurry to know what is next, but that she would just wait on your tender leading. And I thank you for Scotty and for the way that they have ministered together, Lord, out of their marriage. I thank you for the way Scotty has faithfully supported Bethany, the way he's walked with her, the way he has been a sounding board for her, the way he has encouraged her, um, the way he has prayed for her, Lord, and, and for their children, and the way that when you call one person into ministry, the whole family is inevitably involved in that ministry. And so I just pray your blessing upon them. I pray, Lord, for, um, for just um, 
for you to bless them, Lord, as they um, as they anticipate and look forward to um, having more time together as a family. I pray, Lord, for um, for the children that even as they anticipate and think about their own futures, Lord, and what serving you looks like, that they would that this would be um, this would be experiences that they would carry with them, Lord, that would encourage them to um, to ask, what is the Lord calling me to? And so again, I thank you for this family. I thank you for Bethany's faithfulness and obedience, Lord. And I just pray your blessing upon them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, uh, Jonathan, for that message and <clears throat> and this song, which uh, I think has spoken to so many of us this morning, and uh, Bethany for your service and for sharing your heart this morning as well. Um, let's close with this song here, and um, please join us.
is mine forever. Christ is mine.